0: Hello and welcome to the show Spamming Zero. I'm one of your hosts, James Gilbert. We're excited because this month's sponsor is brought to you by C Experts. If you need help with your digital experiences, especially when it comes to the customer experience overall and the strategies there, reach out to CXperts.io. They're an incredible team and incredible people that work there. They believe in three pillars of customer experience CX Insights. Better understand how your users interact with your brand online, CX optimization, make improvements for your customers and your business goals, and then CX launch. Empower your team to make CX a part of your toolkit for success. They are the experts when it comes to customer experience, and they would love to work with you. Again, CXBerts.io. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero, folks. I'm your host today, James. We are uh, not joined by Brian today because Brian has a conflict, but we are joined by an amazing guest, Tom Laird from Expedia. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: James, what's up, buddy? It's uh, I'm happy to be here. It's it's exciting to finally kick this thing off. We've had a had some good conversation before. I'm excited to finally do it.
0: Yeah, if you're if you're interested in how I found Tom, so Tom does his, like a ton of videos. So you should go go follow him. He's Amazingly entertaining. I actually found him through some TikTok videos that he did about customer service, and he was talking about an IVR experience, which is wild because like right now we're kind of doing this campaign about IVR. so it's fun. Uh, so I reached out to Tom, and I was like, "Tom, you got to come on our show. Like, you, you, you have that entertaining factor." <laughs> Uh, so, Tom, big shoes to fill today. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself yeah. um, and your experience. Yeah.
1: So, James, again, my name is Tom Laird. I'm the the CEO of XPV Interaction Marketing. We are a we're 600 seat we're a call center outsourcer. You know, we work with a lot of clients in the customer experience world, from retail to financial services to tech. Just a real swath of of different types of customers, and you know, have a podcast as well, right? It's called Advice from a Call Center Geek. I guess that's kind of a cheap plug here at the beginning. Um, where we do talk about, I think, a lot of the topics that that your listeners are are really into as well. So, you know, this is something I've done my whole, literally my whole entire life. Like, so my, my family owned a contact center, you know, probably one of the first kind of real customer support centers and, and outbound centers in the in the early mid 80s. Um, and I was like nine years old filling vending machines, right? Like hanging out with the smokers and the <laughs> in, the, in the call center, um, no computers, just just you know the, the flip scripts and, and kind of all that old school stuff, and then really just it it kind of got into you, right? So you know from everything from being on the phones to being a supervisor to being that kind of high energy environment worked you know that company with with my family through you know the early two thousands and and we were up to about twelve hundred agents at that time, and all financial services. So Bank of America, City Bank, I don't know if I'm I allowed to say that, but those those clients, right? So- I, <laughs> Too late now. Financial <laughs> services. And then, you know, just real quick that, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010 happened and the Great Recession turned into the Great Depression for us. So like many people out there, the whole private equity thing came in, purchased us and then, hey, everything's going to be the same. And then literally we all got fired like, you know, three months later. So- Greatest thing that ever happened to me because that's how Expedia started. Um, you know, we took a lot of the people that were let go from programmers to supervisors to HR professionals, and and said, "Hey, let's go do this." And, and we raised some money and started as a startup, literally four agents, and then we've been able to scale it over these last this last decade to, to six hundred plus. And you know, I think the content has been a huge piece of of, of our. You know, what we've done, and, and it's been kind of an exciting part and more, I think, a fun part of the marketing aspect of what we do as well. You
0: have a very unique perspective because you've been able to see kind of well over a century of like this, almost like a morph of what's happened with customer experience. And I'll give you my, my perspective on this. Back in like really the 2012, 2013, 2014 mm-hmm. range, that's when like the word customer experience started becoming a thing. And it, and it wasn't really a thing until then. Then you started seeing roles as CX and um, chief customer experience officers that were like net new roles that were just like brand new to brands. Yep. And I'm curious, like your take on the evolution of this um, and why do you think that was so important to the
1: industry as a whole? Because social media freaked people out and when, when, <laughs> when customers finally had the voice Right, to go out and say my experience was terrible right where before even early 2000s you know there was really no Facebook it was just starting to come on you know Twitter was really wasn't a thing and I, and you know this web 2 space and the, the social media aspect of of NPS and, and and those types of things where we started to realize you know our customers and word of mouth are are really the, the could be the biggest detriment or the biggest asset to our company and I think that's when people started to really take things seriously, you know. Not even from at that time from the social side of responding digitally, but to, to kind of shore up or at least try to shore up their house, right? From 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 the customer experience side, so that they weren't getting hammered because before the, everybody was doing everything <laughs> in the dark, right? So you, you had a bad experience, maybe you told two people. Now you have a bad experience, you can sell tell twelve thousand people, um, and I think that that was a, a huge shift. Into a lot of people's thinking and, and one of the, I guess, one of the good things about social media, I think it's had a real direct effect on, on customer experience and, and, and the, the job that we want to do and the, the, the support that we want to give customers and the experience we want to give them. Yeah, I think that's, the, that's a huge impact. It had a huge impact.
0: Here's a wild stat for you. And this is based on a ton of different research, but 80% of people would prefer to go to a social channel to complain immediately before reaching out to a brand so just to give you some context on how true what tom just said is 80 percent. i mean look i'm not a big believer in going to social media and like complaining about a brand but i will be the first to tell you that i have had to do that Mm -hmm. um, on more than one occasion otherwise i wouldn't have got a resolution to my problem so i think like the amplification of this that happens is very real and the detriment to a brand is very real um i i wish i could i wish i could pull up some numbers on this but i remember a little while back they also did like what was the revenue impact of a complaint and it was like 50x right what what like resolving it and and what a single complaint would do in social media and the amplification there and I, I just find it interesting because you have like the, you've also started a business um, around this. And what is your prediction for the future? Um, what is what does the future of customer experience look like in, in your mind?
1: Well, that's an absolutely loaded loaded question. But let, let's kind of take a step back here. And I, and I think we have started to see. I've started to see the evolution of you know the, the tools. That, that I can give. So I'm a BPO, right? So business process outsourcer. I'm a call center outsourcer. We're in the United States. We pay, you know, we're charging much higher fees. I don't think that's that's any surprise than, than somebody in the Philippines or India or even, you know, Belize or, or in the Caribbean or Mexico. So we have to provide a service that is much greater value than just having a, you know, an agent answering calls, right? So I think what you're starting to see in and I was an AI, I don't want to say non-believer because I think that's 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 to an extreme, but <clears throat> everything was AI. Like you go to call center week last year and at the end of the year, uh, you know, it was funny. It was like in 2010, 2011 when everything was like social media and, and, and we, we've, you know, that was all, all you saw was social media stuff and and how we're responding to that. Now it, everything is AI, right? There's AI in every single name and most of it's not AI. Most of it is just you know, just, just kind of almost fooling people. So it kind of jaded me. I think the chat GPT thing has has opened my eyes, right, up to what a real chatbot should be, what it could be. Um, I was really anti-chatbot. I mean, I've, I've demoed all of them, and nothing really did it for me to, to get me to that, to that level. And analytics for me has become a huge piece. It's a huge aspect of what we do for clients. To be able to give insights into, you know, I love over the the Christmas holiday where, you know, we had a retail client that launched a brand new product and we could say, hey, you know, 34% of the customers who called us used the phrase too expensive when, when talking about this specific product, right? To, to give real insights into not only the customer experience, but the marketing side, the business side, really using the, the call center as as kind of this, this information gathering system. Um, I think you, you're starting to see that more and more and more. And, and that's a huge piece of turning a call center into a profit center. Right. And then digital is huge, right? And every RFP that, that we have gotten in over the last 12 to 18 months post COVID has had some type of Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, telegram, um, you know looking at, at just beyond voice. Voice is still king. I mean it, it, it's still it really dominates the scene, but you know from chat um, and then moving to these digital channels, some of the things that i believe in with the nfts and the blockchain where, where that thing could be going as well you know there's a lot of of ways that this this context center our world could be moving i i think self-service is really going to have a huge impact finally we've been talking about self-service for forever like i know you guys are doing the terrible ivr thing right and and IVRs have been like the bane of my existence forever. And, and everybody wants to put a chatbot on their site and throw it on there. And, you know, and I still think too, and I, I did a post on LinkedIn and then, you know, I'll kind of wrap this thought up, you know, this, this chat GPT thing, I think you're going to see, just like you kind of saw with NFTs, so many people are going to move into the space now, right? And say, hey, this is what we did. Look, we've integrated this this type of AI technology. You're going to see chatbots everywhere. They're going to be terrible. There's going to be a little bit of a, of a backlash and then I think you're going to start to see the real work begin and some of the really amazing technology that's really going to come from from having the, this tool. But I think we're going to have to kind of get through a lot of this, I don't know, kind of the jungle of, of getting through it to get to the really good stuff that I think a lot of people are working on kind of in the quiet.
0: You know, I I, I call this the AI revolution that's happening right now. And you can't hide from it. Um, you you can't. No. You just can't. Nope. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're either – adopting it to make yourself more efficient and make your business more efficient. And even in some cases to save on costs or, or you're going to get left behind. And, and you know, those, there's really only two options in, in some of those cases. And we saw these type of revolutions happen with other things in the past, like the invention of the computer, yeah. right? Like there was a lot of resistance to that. And look what happened? The the invention of the internet, yeah, for sure. Um, look what happened there. Like these big moments um, that have, changed the way that we do business is happening right now with ai and i don't just say that because we're an ai company um and i'm a big believer in it but uh you know it's 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 interesting because like we actually have a little fun with this chat gbt thing um here at flip we call ourselves the chat gbt of flip but the difference is is like so many people are used to the alexa like experience, right. and um, the creators of Alexa and, and the people that engineered that are some of our investors and are investing in our product because what has not happened is that type of experience has not made its way into the automation realm of of like operations and customer support. And to come back to like this community feel that that you've been talking about, and like with with the NFTs and things, like I was just reading a book uh, over the weekend. It's called Belonging to the Brand. Highly recommend it. You should take that take a look at that one, Tom. I think you'd really like yeah, it. Yeah, awesome. Um, but it's all about like building community, and I think that we're 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 seeing this as and and you 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 mentioned this as self serve being like the future of some of the customer experience. And I think one of the reasons why AI is so hard to adopt at times is because some of the technology with AI requires a lot of lift yeah. and work and months and months of planning. And I think what you're going to start seeing is technologies at least like we're doing this right Uh, technologies where there's out of the box options specifically for verticals that are already tailor made for that. Um, We like to talk to talk to talk about it like this. Like there are so many people that, that uh, think like the intents of why somebody would call would be so different, but yet agents are handling the exact same inquiries over and over and over. Almost doesn't even matter if it's a different like retail brand. like If it's in retail, it's gonna be almost the exact same inquiries. Where's my order? Um, I wanna do a return, I wanna cancel my order. Um, all of those things become intense. So mm-hmm. the more that AI technologies can take those commonalities that happen and make it out of the box options for brands, the more likely it is going to be that brands will invest in those technologies because I think too much of it requires such a big lift, workflows, engineers, and it shouldn't require that yeah, for you to become can, more you efficient.
1: Can't get, you can't get general adoption, right? Because so, so many organizations that are smaller and small, medium-sized businesses are, are really going to be the ones to, when when it hits to those levels, that's the huge driver of things. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's such a heavy lift. And I think that's the, again, not to give a cheap plug for BPOs or for, for us, but I think that's the cool thing about outsourcers, right, is – is that's all we do, right? So, like, to, to your point, like, my, my guys are just, they are working on this, and that's all they're doing so that when we do have a client. Um, but to your point, is extremely well taken to have that, you know, that, that small retailer that's making skateboards, right, that has, you know, four employees that wants to do something like this because they can't afford to outsource. And they, to be honest, they don't want to answer the phone. They want to make skateboards. I think, you know, that the, there's huge use cases for that all over the world. Um, and it, it will be a huge differentiator. It's, it's kind of it's kind of exciting because it is it is totally changing like how I have to think about a call center outsourcer, and and we are turning this thing is turned into you know, really a technology type brand and a technology space, which is super exciting with with a lot of the tools that are coming out. So you know the organizations that kind of think that way I think are going to be way ahead because you know it, this is not business as usual for sure.
0: Hundred percent, Tom. Before we get into the community play, which I want to in just a minute. I want to ask you also like running BPOs. Uh, it, it's, I think there's a there's a, a natural environment right now. And I want you to like hit it head on. Yeah. Um, being a BPO provider, what do you think brands can do right now during this time where they're making a lot of cuts? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those cuts are in the, customer service operations area. What would be your advice to let's say a CEO or a CFO of any brand that is looking at those as cuts and how do you ensure that like a BPO is still part of the plan and
1: and still a strategic play? Well I think there's a couple things. Number one, you know, no matter what, there there are budget people are budgeting for customer support. You know, one of the you know the, the big videos that, that did get a lot of views was was talking about even some of the tools, right? So, you know, looking at more efficiency type tools, mm-hmm. right? So let's say you do have budget, what are you gonna go spend in, in 2023? Like again, quality is always huge, but again if you have to choose and you're you're seeing an economic downturn. Maybe you do the WFM, maybe you do some, some more advanced type routing. Maybe you look at your processes to try to shore up your handle time to, to, to kind of lessen headcount. Looking at those kind of things, I think are really, really important than you know, going to purchase a, a QA platform. Obviously, there's a self-service piece of this that that you, you can't ignore. I think people can really realize that you know if you can move some of those calls, that's gonna lower some costs as well. I think the the biggest thing with with outsourcers. Is, is looking to kind of multi-scale things. So maybe if you came to me or you came to, you know, a, a USA center that did your voice and chat and email, right, maybe you look to then have the, the USA center do your voice and then you offshore or nearshore, right, your email, your chat, and doing those kind of, of I don't say back office functions, but, you know, more digital type functions that, that maybe, you know, lend something that's okay for your brand. So. I think that the BPO space is okay, right? And I think the, the reason that we're okay is, again, that we are investing when no one else can invest, right? So I am still investing in, in what technology can give, yep. bring an ROI to my company, but add a ton of value to my customers. And I don't have to worry about making a widget. I don't have to worry about any type of, you know, <laughs> any of that other overhead with inventory. Right. The only thing that I'm worried about, and, and not, not just me, but but outsourcers are worried about is how do we service our customers, how do we give them great experiences, and how do we get as much technology and kind of pack this into this as we possibly can. And so I think that's the true value, right, is, is when you can't invest, right, to go to a partner that is investing, that can do it, that can keep your customer experience at a, at a level that you do not fall behind, because a lot of people will start to fall behind and be like, oh, man, um, you know, what do we do now? So... Again, if you're going to keep things internal, look at efficiencies. Um, how do you how do you stop your reps from going to four screens, right? How do you how do you have a single pane of glass, you know, for, for everything when you log in, looking at your self-service model, looking at handle times and those kind of things from an efficiency standpoint. You know, we're looking at workforce management and those kind of efficiency tools and then again, I think outsourcers, whether it's nearshore, offshore here in the states, you know, understanding that to stay ahead of the game that's a really good play because you know the technology is going to be there um, if you're using the right partner
0: completely agree with you all right so let's let's dive into this community thing because I think that one of the evolutions of customer experience is like when you think about self-serve it, it's very much driven by community the data that we're collecting with customer service and support is is oftentimes not shared and collected in a way that can be operational and acted on by the rest of the customers and consumers and i think that more and more of that is going to happen and like i think about big brands that have built a community really really well you know some of them are leveraging really innovative ways to kind of build that brand experience that really matters to people that keeps them long lasting keeps them even fans for that matter and there was a couple of uh examples that were given in the belonging to the brand book that i want to want to call out one of them was Mom boss built a community, one of the fastest growing communities in the world, actually. And she did it because she wanted a place where people could come that were moms building businesses and CEOs of businesses and um, those that were working moms. And she wanted one place for them to come and find value with each other. And I think that the strongest way to build community is to find a centerpiece that people can feel a part of. Um, and feel like they belong to it. And then there was another one that also <laughs> I found really fascinating. and that was what Jack in the Box did to reach their community through the metaverse. And so they had all these things in the metaverse and that's how they reached like this community that they had, which were gamers. Yep. Um, Jack in, like Jack in the Box, if you're not familiar with them, they're like a fast right. food brand. I might not eat there but like a lot of the the, the kids melders, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So like th- that's a great example of also like leveraging your community and meeting them where they're at. What's your take on how brands can be innovative in building community with self-serve in mind?
1: Community is the, it's almost the bridge between web two and web three. You know, social media was was the first, you know, when you talked about influencers, you talked about followers, you know, that's kind of their community and i think brands started to see that and said i want to do that i mean i'm a i'm trying to do that on a very small scale right a lot of brands realized that the main point of, of building this community what i have found is is like you said is, is adding value right so not only just building around kind of this central theme but you know i just again i posted today on linkedin that so many uh, posts from from you know, brands from from people who are trying to build their personal brand on LinkedIn come from a place of selfishness, right? They don't come from a place of really adding value. And I think when when people start to see that every time that they go to you or every time that they look at a post or every time they look at something that they're getting value from it, they're going to gravitate towards that. And if, if brands can start to to really show how they can add value, how they're not coming at you, how they're not asking you for anything. You start to build this kind of organic community around it that you can start to utilize when it gets to kind of that that tipping point. But so many of us and so many brands make such a mistake of, of using kind of web two, web three as, as just an advertising tool, right? Where, where I just want sales <laughs> right now, right? I want sales. And and I have found we're a very small company. You know, I nobody knew who the heck I was, you know, even probably four or five years ago. But being consistent with posting content that is not asking for anything. I mean, just like this podcast, like we're not we're not trying to sell anything. We're just trying to say, you know, here's some experiences that I've had. Hopefully that this this adds value. I just posted my book, you know, 210 pages. It's on Amazon. But, you know, I'm like, you know what? I know a lot of people want this. So here's just go download it. And I think.
0: I actually saw when, that. When
1: you can when you do those type of things and you do it over and over and over the, the community that you build then can be leveraged for, for specific things. Can be leveraged for for NFTs, can be leveraged for different sales aspects, can be leveraged for, you know, things that that you have built up enough street cred, right? And you know, Gary Vee, I'm a big follower of Gary Vee, you know, he he basically says, you know, jab 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 and then hook. Right, and it's kind of like add value, add value, add value, and then ask. And I think that that's a huge piece of of at least what we're trying to do, what I think brands that really do a good job in the space, what they do and how they can quickly add that value um, and and people gravitate towards that on on all the different platforms.
0: Completely agree. I had the lucky opportunity to be one of the first board members of a community called Peak Community, which focuses on helping marketers become leaders and I think one of the most valuable things that we would hear constantly on the board was, was the following. This is the only community that I, I feel like I can come into and directly connect with people and get immediate value mm-hmm. from. I mean, almost everybody that would come into the community would be set up with a like one-on-one connection mm-hmm. awesome. um, with people that are at all levels, right? And it's immediate value. And I couldn't agree more with you. We call this, like I always tell my CEO this, actually Brian, I, I always tell him, like, we need to think about ways in which we can drive um, our go-to market motions that are much more value-led first. And I think you're going to see this more and more from brands. And s- some of us who may have been doing this for a very long time um, get smiles on our faces that like, now this is the way that people are realizing is the right way to do things.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and James, I think it's fun too. I will get on LinkedIn- I might get three to four questions a day on some calls. And it's awesome because I asked for it. I said, guys, if you have anything, I can help you with everything from, hey, I have a a 30 to one ratio for our supervisor to call center or to, to call center agent. Do you think that's too much? Or, hey, we only give four seconds of after call work. What do you give? Right. And not only do I answer those questions, but then that provides me content for everybody else as well as I'm then I'm I'm making a video out of everything so it's kind of a win-win as well because they're kind of feeding you some things from a content standpoint and I think you can provide a lot of value if you if you have the expertise and you want to let yourself Kind of out there as well
0: i am curious too like when we when we kind of like position this also with a lot of the listeners that listen to this podcast which are oftentimes at retail brands and they're customer experience professionals or contact center professionals and i'm curious like how we might think about this from a brand perspective if i'm a retail brand how do we provide value first and i Here's what I do not think it is. And I'd love to hear your take on what you think it is. I do not think it's sending them a discount code. Mm -hmm. That is not value first (laughs) because you do that with everyone. Um, So Tom, like what do you think value led first looks like from a brand perspective?
1: You know, there's two kind of pillars that, that I kind of follow with anything that I post. And I think that retailers or those brands and, and either educate or entertain. And if you can do both, you'd probably go viral. Right. Look at liquid death. That's yes. exactly what they're exactly. doing. They sell water. I mean, water people No, right, right. So, you know, I, I think from an education standpoint, it doesn't have to be like literally my TikToks and again, not to just talk about me, but I just think so many people are so adverse to to, to trying new things. Like literally I just hold a camera and like I'll talk about after call work. Right. Or I'll talk about agents or I'll talk about coaching tips. And I think it's not super crazy entertaining. But for people who are looking to be educated, who are newer in the space, it's it's they just they consume it because it's there's not a lot of things out there because it's such a niche. I've not done a really good job of entertaining. But, but <laughs> I, I, actually I think you do. A pretty I, think, good job. I think that, you know, those are, are really two two important things. And, and depending on the culture of your brand. Right. There's a lot of really cool brands right that I think have done a really good job on on that and they will go viral instantly because they have a following and because they can do that but you know from a smaller standpoint we I think we get caught up on the platforms as well right not not to get really specific to channels but we think we yeah. we think that TikTok we got to be funny and we got to do dances when people don't realize that you know maybe 10 years ago Instagram is where all the kids were at now every single brand in the world is on Instagram and you can't get any organic reach whatsoever so the platforms, you know, they will evolve over time. I think TikTok. If if someone is not on TikTok, if you are B two B, if you are you know B two C, especially if you are not on there, no matter what you are, whether you're selling rubber, whether you're selling you know manufacturing, and you got a widget, you can figure something out that can either educate or entertain, and 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 you will get a following. And I, I would say like the more niche, the more rich, right? Because there's, there's not a lot of people that are doing what you would be doing. So the the, the the people that think no one wants to listen to me because I have something that's that nobody cares about, you don't need the 10 million people to care about. You just need maybe those 2,000 people that do care. And those people, when you get them, then, you, then you're in business. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could go on and on about, so about that. Tom, are we going to... Are we going to see any TikTok dances from you? probably like will not. probably will not. Like I, <laughs> even before, like I had to lift my camera up and my double chin is still, I think I'm okay at the angle here. So I'm not, I'm not shaking. Yeah, I mean, look,
0: I don't even know
1: how half these people learn these dances so quickly. And then they like, it just doesn't,
0: like my kid, yeah. my my daughter does it. And, ooh, and James, I think out. too,
1: but you've started, like if you looked at last summer, I don't know, at least my daughter was doing it every day. Like, like she's almost like walking down the stairs, like doing this. And it's kind of, I don't want to say died off because they still have them, but even that's evolved a little bit, right? So people, it's almost like grab your land. It's a land grab on these new platforms, right? So nobody might be listening now, but in three years, you build that following, you build that community on a specific platform. You're really in business. And I think that's thats the thing with TikTok.
0: Yeah, this is the thing that I i really um, can't stress enough. I've been in marketing now for over 20 years and had the opportunity to Consult. I ran an agency on the side for a little while. Helped consult startups. Went to enterprises. Now I've been a CMO. This is my third time as a CMO. And through all of that experience, there is one fundamental truth to all of it, and that is, you you do not know how to do marketing because it changes too That's much. Right. Um, yeah. And so many people out there, are like, oh yeah, content is key, right? <laughs> they throw these like little terms out there, and like, oh yeah, if you're not a good writer, you're a terrible marketer. Well, here's the thing: it's just not true. Right. All these people are doing is providing a POV, and they're trying to find their niche, just like you're saying, yeah. Tom. And there's there's too many opportunities throughout the history of time, and how we as consumers change. Like, if you just think about the amount of changes that happen from when the pandemic happened to now yeah, insane. with marketing it is night and day yep. oh. right and just that little window is is a three-year window mm-hmm. and that's it so if that three-year window changes like every year is a new is a new window to change and i think the more that we can be agile with our marketing efforts the more that we can be agile with how we build a community but more importantly than all that we really have to listen we really have to watch what our customers like what they are like consuming, I think a really good practice to get into is consistently asking your customers where do you consume content and how do you consume right. it? Don't just create to create, but actually asking them how and where they consume that content, I think is super important for. Brands.
1: You know one of the other things too that I think is important with that is is understand maybe the different segments of your community. You know like again, let's let's say us from a call center standpoint. so I will we will produce content for like that. See, you know, CX professional that's the C level person will do something for the call center manager. And then maybe that brand new supervisor where we're talking about KPIs, right? Because in from a from a selfish standpoint, we have found that those brand new supervisors someday become the decision makers up here. Right. So <laughs> it's if, so true. If you if you can kind of cult, just not ha- trying to hammer one specific target, you know, and, and kind of spreading that out over creating pieces of content that you think different segments of your community will, will enjoy and, and consume, you know, I think selfishly can also help you in the in the long run, too, because this is a long game, right, from a content standpoint. We, this isn't, this is branding, 100%. this is marketing, this isn't sales, right? And there's a place for sales all day long, right? But, you know, what we're talking about is really when, when somebody thinks call center, I want them to think of me and my company, right? Like call center outsourcer. That's that's my that's my goal, right? I'm nowhere near it, but that's why I do what I do. From a branding standpoint, I want to be first of mind because of what we do. Yep,
0: you're basically creating demand in people's minds, and right. you're, you have I a, like that very specific, demand in
1: people's minds. Yeah,
0: and, and you and you have a very specific POV, and that's the point of view that you have, right? right? You gotta double down on that. All right, so we're 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 at time, but I gotta ask the one last question. Staying true to the podcast, we're we're bringing back this question this year, uh, for every guest. So I'd love for you to tell me, when you think, all right, so take your BPO hat okay. off, take the Expedia hat off for a second, just Tom, you have to call a brand or a service to get something solved. What's the first thing you think about when you have to call? Customer support.
1: Like, what do I think about? I yeah. think about I'm going to need at least 25 to 30 minutes of my life to, to get this. <laughs> and I got to pick the right moments. And then I got to think of I got to go through this painful IVR process where I'm going to probably hit zero 14 times because I'm not even going to deal with it to go to an agent. That's kind of the, the, the thought process as, I'm, as I am calling Right? I'm trying to get what if they
0: what if they change the code on you and it's not zero? And anymore. that's
1: that's brutal. That's the worst. Like you know, shame on every brand that does that. Like, come on. yeah, and then you're just stuck in this IVR, you know, hell trying to just then you're trying to navigate. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that it is such a painful experience. And I would prefer if I'm going to self-service, I'd rather use the chatbot. I'd rather use chat if I'm going to do that. If I'm going to call, I want to talk to somebody, right? Um, because there are other messages, you know, from, from from the digital standpoint that I can go deal with if I want to get something quick. I don't need to reset my password. I don't need to go through this process. But you know, even talking about real quick the, the Southwest Airlines, you know, Snow right? On on in, in Buffalo and and literally they just they just almost shut everything down, right? They they just they weren't taking calls, they weren't doing any of that, and 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 it's just it's such a brutal brutal escapade that some that some brands kind of put you through. And a lot of times it's because they're going so far into queue. They're trying to keep you, you know, so in this IVR as long as they can, even so that, you know, maybe their SLAs won't be as bad because they're not counting SLAs in the IVR. So and that's a long, long answer of, of, of saying it's painful. I completely agree. But what's wild
0: to me is like no company that I know of would ever shut off sales.
1: No, right. None. And I will tell you, I will not name any clients, but I will 80% of our clients, we have probably a 90 ten, 90% of the calls answered within 10 seconds or less on our sales queue. And we might have a 6120, right, on a on a customer support queue. Right. So, and I'm like, hey, whatever you guys, whatever you guys deem. Now, not everybody's like that, but you're absolutely right. There are definitely different SLAs and, and different <laughs> metrics for us.
0: Let me repeat let me repeat what we said earlier. People when people complain to somebody, they're it's it's like fifty times more likely that it's gonna impact your revenue. Yeah, than a cell would a single cell well even keeping i mean the whole the whole
1: you know concept of of generating a new customer and the cost of that compared to keeping you know a customer that you already have like that concept gets totally thrown out of the out the window um because hey we got them they're, they're they're so often taken for granted so yeah we're trying to change I'll, that but you know it, it is what it is still at this at this point in our and our CX life.
0: Completely agree. Tom, we're going to have to have you on again in the future. Thank you for joining us. All
1: right, James. That was fun. Anytime. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so.
0: You can find us on Apple, Amazon, you name it. We're actually one of the very first podcasts that you will ever find in B2B on IMDb as well. Go check us out. Give us a rating. And if you have a topic that you want to hear or a guest that you want on the show, please let me know or Brian know and we would love to have them. Thanks.